Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. Hello, everybody. This is Chet Czar. I am recording the Dark Art Society podcast today on my own. Well, I have a guest, but um, I'm doing it without Mike today because Mike is off for probably about a month or I don't know how long it's going to take. He said around a month. Um, but he's just taking care of some some stuff in his life, and he needs some time to get him taken care of. Uh, not to worry, everything's it's it's. Uh, I know it's been a challenging time for Mike, but uh, things are going well for him. So um, uh, don't worry about him. Uh, so I'm just gonna do by myself. I just did the pre-roll by myself, which was really weird, talking by myself on a microphone. I think this is probably the first time I've ever done that. So. Um, it is a little unusual, but I'm trying to um, get into it and see if it's a fun new thing that I can handle. I'm sure I can handle it. Um, so with all that in mind, I uh, would like to introduce the uh, guest for today. Now, this dude is I put him in the uh, in the upper echelon of genius artists uh, in, in our scene. He's. I'm, I'm saying this now because he's way too humble to say it about himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, he he his work is just. I mean, I just uh, let me just introduce him. Paul Komoda, welcome to the show. Oh, hi there, Chad. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. I just no, it's a very appropriate day. It's very for uh, for LA. It's a very it's a wonderfully gray day outside. I know it's perfect. It's the perfect. Yeah, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it was good atmosphere. The only thing could be a little better is if it was raining. Then it would be absolutely perfect. yeah, yeah. Which well, you never know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like I don't know if you've ever been stuck in the uh, the flooding we've got out here. It's, uh, it's oh, I know, it's I know. Killer. Every year, my my garage fills up with water and floods. So I yeah, my, sure. it becomes like Venice outside my apartment. Right. I know it's, it's crazy, but any, anyway, I wanted to say just a little bit because, like I said, you're not going to um, toot your own horn, so I'm going to do it for you. Because no. uh, Paul's work, you, I'm sure you've seen it. If you listen to this podcast, you probably have. If you haven't, you have to see it because the amount of um, incredible stuff he does is just it really, really, really blows my mind. Um, I kind of put I put him in that category as I put uh, Christopher Ulrich, which is kind of like this visionary truly genius artist uh and they both the one thing i find similar between you and ulrich is that you both have these amazing sketchbooks that are just you know my sketchbooks it's like crap crap a good sketch crap crap a good sketch and your guys's sketchbooks are like fucking works of art um, oh, unto themselves <laughs> it's like you, the, the reason they came about is i never knew that would be the thing that would sort of identify me but what happened was uh, this is—it pretty much started back in New York. I, mean, I always kept sketchbooks, but I always find myself in a work situation. So I'd be at a studio someplace, and you're just doing, whether you're doing toys or whatever that you're working on. It's very regimental work sometimes, and so this, just to save my brain, I'd be pouring all these pent-up ideas out onto the pages of my sketchbook. And what would happen is they accrue over a period of time. I'd go back to a page, maybe another idea hits me, or I have a dream. I maybe want to illustrate something from the dream, or just a, or a costume idea I had for this, and people would see it as a whole page of, uh, you know, the image would hit them all at once. Right. Meanwhile, 
and oh, that's that month, that's that year, that's wherever. It's kind of scattered in my my way, but uh, from my perspective, but right. other people has now, a completely different. Yeah, just thing. visually though, you open them and they're just they look. It, it's like the the sketchbook is like its own work of art. It really, it really is. You should print that thing. You should print your sketchbooks. Scan yeah, so scan the pages. There's that big one I brought to the gallery. Right. And, uh, the other week it's and a, uh, that, that one I definitely want to get out and then there's another one that's been and people have been talking about it for years and years now and it's all been scanned oh so really to, yeah I just have to get in there uh, clean up a couple of things like deleting like phone numbers and mm-hmm. information that might uh, might not be good to get out there but <laughs> uh, other than that um, it's ready to um, be worked into some kind of publishable form right uh, we'll just see, uh, you know, how how, um, how this year looks. Well, I'm I'm trying this with the dystopia book. I'm trying this new. I think we're going to try this new printing company that I could maybe hook you up with. Um, oh, wonderful! Yeah, good. Uh, Stupak has turned me on to them, and their prices are really good, and they're and it's made in the United States, so it's 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 pretty cool. So, um, yeah, you got to get that done. That thing would be huge. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's like, <laughs> I'm, gonna do a book. <laughs> I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. You know, I got, got out to LA and all that, and suddenly it's a little different than living in. Uh, when I was living in Philadelphia, which is where I was before here for about four years, you know, I was living for almost nothing comparatively. It was maybe five hundred dollars a month. Right. And that's not the reality I'm dealing no. with. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different story for sure. Boy, I got to hustle. So it's, uh, it's a whole different uh, um, way way of going about things, and so things, certain things just got. You know, just by right, right. Just had to get pushed to the wayside for a bit. I, you don't have to tell me, man. I can t- totally relate to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you you do so many different things. I mean, I know you, you were working in, uh, you were doing jewelry for a while. You're doing makeup effects for a while. You're sculpting in the industry, and we kind of missed each other. I don't think we ever worked together. Um, but, no, that was the thing. I can't, I'm kind of a latecomer to the LA scene, actually. Really. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I came out here in two thousand and the tail end of two thousand and eight into two thousand nine. Oh, that's that's right around the time I I got out of the business. Yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think. Right. Um, do you know my friend uh, Mike Marino? Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think he worked <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah, Altarian or something. like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. that dude's amazing, man. He's he's, he's a genius. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's, a, he's the guy I was working with at Prosthetic Renaissance mm-hmm. uh, um, shortly before I left the East Coast, actually. Mm. And uh, we did things like uh, we worked together first on uh, – well, technically we worked on designs for um, – uh, why am I spacing on it? Uh, I Am Legend. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Empire characters for that. Right. But then I did some actual prosthetic sculpting. First I ever did in my life with him for Synecdoche, New York. And so we designed like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's makeup. And then the only thing uh, – the one I did for my uh, all by myself was for Jennifer Jason Lee and uh, – there's some oh, stuff excellent. for some important. So it was, it was pretty cool. It's doing old age makeup stuff. Yeah. Before my life. So yeah. You're, that's the, th- that's the thing about, um, you know, like I hate to, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but you're, you're, ta- you're one of those ta- talent, like he, for anybody who doesn't know, Paul is one of these super talented artists that like, they never sculpted. Most of us have to kind of learn how to do things and practice. Paul's one of these guys that just started sculpting out of nowhere. I, I, I imagine because if you came from like go nothing to working on a film like that, come on, man! It's like you know who's like that? Cam DeLeon was like that. I he, saw, uh, he's, he's another guy. Uh, I saw his first sculpture he ever did, and it was fucking as good as anything oh, I could wow. do. And it was like Love the first. That might have been because uh, he yeah he's an he's an incredible sculptor. Yeah, and an incredible illustrator. Yeah, Every, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it's like. 
Yeah, actually, he, that's how I found out about you, actually, was through his uh, website, actually. Oh, wow, yeah, that's right, because the, the link. And so I was just getting, it was around, yeah, I was still in New York at the time, and I was just getting into the whole art thing and trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And so that's sort of what, you know, one thing led to another, as they say. Right. And um, now you you freelance, you work on, like, do you do toys and stuff, or you do, like, art I, kind I of sculptures do, for Sideshow and stuff? Work, yeah, I'm doing lots of stuff for Sideshow right now. Uh, working on something right now that's right, right behind this lovely ipad <laughs> and um and so so that so that's pretty cool but i was actually doing articulated action figures back in new york and i worked at this place called the art asylum in brooklyn for a little bit mm. and uh interesting work and again a bit of a learning curve i had to learn the materials how to, how to work in articulations and right like, and um and through there it's a funny thing i became known for get, getting likenesses for actors and pop stars and things like that which is something that i I guess I was sort of okay at first, but I kind of had to be get better at that. And suddenly, I was the one guy that was doing. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the other thing. I totally forgot about that. You've got these little teeny like heads, you know, likeness heads before people were scanning everything and yeah, no, they're kind of yeah. We were there kind of when things were just starting to enter into that phase of of production when you know we were doing stuff for Lord of the, the first Lord of the Rings films. And right. All the principal characters, all the actors, they're they're just getting their heads scanned. At uh, Gentle Giant, I believe. Right. And secondary characters, pretty much, just um, practically. I mean, yeah, traditionally. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So, how about what I'd like to know is your? Can you uh, give us your life story in a nutshell? <laughs> at least your art, your artistic your artistic life story. You know? Good question. I, apparently, I was like, um, well, uh, one thing that clears a lot of things up is both my parents were uh, artists as well. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, my father was working for McGraw Hill, but he was doing lots of uh, book illustration. He had some more realistic, naturalistic styles. There were, there were always books on animals and things all over the house. Mm-hmm. A lot of these incredible time life books that basically formed my visual impressions of the world at first. And my mom was doing children's books. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, if you look up Jelly Beans for Breakfast, illustrated by Beverly Komoda, there's actually a, I think there's a um, there's a, a fan page on Facebook actually. And so I grew up. That's so cool. that was one good advantage because I, I grew up with tons of art supplies around. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. All those books and things. And uh, so, so, it was, so it was a wonderful kind of like uh, way to kind of springboard off things and uh, get started. But you know, I was always drawing, I guess. And I was always um, fascinated by things. I don't know why certain things stick. Like mm-hmm. of all the things in the world, because I started off being into, I, I love cars and I love, mm-hmm. I love drawing tires and things. Yeah, me too. I used to do that too, like hot rods yeah. and uh, yeah, four, yeah. four wheelers and stuff. I started off just drawing, drawing cars and things. But yeah. apparently, according to my mom, I was terrified. Like my, my dad would leave spare tires in the hallway in the house. For some reason, my mom used to say I used to be terrified of those things. <laughs> I don't really remember that, but it was, it's, uh, I can believe it. I was, I was scared of weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but it suddenly was like it moved to like I remember I was fascinated by cactus for a while, so I do lots of cactus, and then in came I don't know what came first, dinosaurs or uh, or cephalopods, because I began drawing lots of octopi and or not they're actually octopuses is the correct term at this point. Octopi and things down. <laughs> uh, what's wait? What's octopi versus octopuses? Yeah, octopi is archaic apparently. People don't use that anymore. Uh, I didn't talking. know that. Yeah, now it's octopuses or octopodes, I think. Words all my okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sea creatures, bugs, and dinosaurs. That was my thing for a little bit, and then uh, began catching. Well, it's a funny thing because we, my brother and I, we went back into uh, there's a closet my, where my dad put all of our old childhood drawings, and each one of these drawings I pulled out, one after the other, was a big blocky dinosaur head with these big triangular teeth. <laughs> Some of them breathing fire, yeah, know, <laughs> and all that stuff. So, 
uh, but just variations on a theme. So I actually did that again a few years ago. I said, let me just take a month and just draw a big weird dinosaur head every month for every day for a month. And right. so, so, so that was a fun exercise. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So dinosaurs, hot rods, cars, uh, yeah. the classic kind of stuff. When, when did you, yeah, yeah. Uh, at what point did you start? I don't know. Were, were you always serious about becoming an artist, like a professional artist when you grew up or? I think it was, a, it was sort of um, um, a given thing for me as a kid anyway. So mm. it was, oh yeah. Well, someone asked me, I'd either say, uh, so, so what do you want to be doing, crap little boy? I'm like, um, I want to be an artist. Or I, conversely, I'd always say I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be mm-hmm. some guy who digs up dinosaur bones or, right. or be like a, something like a marine biologist. That that would be pretty cool. Also, big, uh, you know, twenty thousand of the sea fans. So I thought mm-hmm. being a submarine and studying deep sea creatures would be, you know, that would be pretty a pretty fulfilling life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the art thing happened, so that was sort of it. And then I'm sure you were, like, the best artist in school among all the other students. And I guess, yeah, I, I guess in, in a sense. Cause I'm, sure always, I'm sure you were. I'm sure I guess I was, the, I was the only one doing the things I was doing. Right. Because really, no one else was like. And it's such a funny trajectory you go through because you grow up and everyone, all your friends are all into monsters. They're all into bugs and dinosaurs. And just one by one, as they get older, they start to drop off to the point where <laughs> they start to like, you know, they start to like either, you know, go out of the way to say how much they don't like that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they start giving you shit for being, for still being into it. And suddenly you go from being the center of attention to like, you're no, you're the pariah now because you're, you're into that stupid monster stuff. Right. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. <laughs> so, which you have to, the gauntlet you have to leave, you know, just to, just to, uh, um, get on with things yeah i only had like I, I i i only had a couple friends that were into monsters myself um i didn't i i was kind of isolated in that way I, I was always kind of the weirdo because of that but um where did you grow up um east windsor new jersey okay yeah i was born in ridgefield new jersey which i think is closer to new york but mm-hmm. uh, we wound up uh east windsor which um uh you know it's very classically suburban mm-hmm. um but um, close enough to Princeton, where we had access to lots of cool stuff. Oh, There's wow. a fantastic library that uh, my mom used to take me and my brothers to all the time. It was huge, and just go through all the, all the children's books and these amazing illustrations and, and books on uh, nature and dinosaurs, of course. Right, right. So, okay, so let's you, 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 you get out of high school, then what happens? Uh, get out of high school, went to School of Visual Arts, uh, and at that point, uh, again, it was sort of like you need to decide what you're going to be doing with the rest of your life mm-hmm. uh, that second year after the foundation year. And so uh, at the time I was in the, the whole idea of doing comics was kind of a thing for me for a little bit. And uh, so I, I took I began taking cartooning courses and, and um, uh, courses on sequential arts. So mm-hmm. uh, so I, it was um, it was a pretty interesting thing looking back. because You know, my instructors were people like Harvey Kurtzman of Mad. And, and, no way. Yeah. And Will Eisner. Wow, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting thing. I'm reflecting. What school is this? Uh, uh, the School of Visual Arts. Uh, uh, I don't know. SBA, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's incredible. And and Harvey Kurtzman brought Robert Crumb in to speak one time. Wow, it was uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. Wow. I mean, I mean, ultimately, like at the time, anyway, I just wasn't into the whole art school thing. I mean, I wanted right. to do so many different things, and the fact that you had to like. You know, I'll accrue so many credits to graduate and this one thing. And I was like, ah, I, just, uh, I was like, whatever. So I'm just going to take whatever I want to take, whatever looks good to me, whether it's a painting illustration class or whatever. Right. And all that. So uh, so I didn't graduate. I just kind of like I took the four years and that was sort of it. Right. 
So how did you, what did you do for, for work when you first got out into the, to the workforce? You know, it's a weird combination of things. Cause I remember I, I met, um, uh, another artist, uh, who's, um, um, somewhat well known. He's, he's, he's pretty well known in certain circles. This guy named Axel. He was a jeweler, mm. did a surrealist, he was sort of a surrealist jeweler as we <clears throat> described himself. And I remember coming across this medium at this show at this gallery called Psychedelic Solution on 8th Street. Uh, there was a, a show about this artist named Victor Miscosa, one of the early Zap guys. Mm. And I remember my friend Mark Sunshine, he looked over and I said, dude, check out the guy's rings. And this, I saw this guy, it looked like something from the Dark Crystal. Mm. This guy had these uh, uh, rings that were made of bird skulls and they had glass eyeballs in them mm. and they had beetle jaws and things all cast in, in silver. And there are these monstrous things covering his hands. And... Um, and it was just one of those things where I uh, met a few of his friends and uh, this uh, gentleman named Adam Alexander, this guy looked like a wizard with his long white hair. And he was like, yeah, we have, to and we have to introduce you to Axel. I think you guys would really get along. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the rings over there. And so that's all that sort of uh, came together. And uh, you know, he wow. said he was going to an apprentice. And, uh, and I was kind of disillusioned with our school at the time. So I thought, you know, I should probably look into this. And so... Uh, um, so yeah, so that's, I went over to his place and he really hit it off and, uh, I was helping him out with some, he was just sculpting things. Uh, cause he was mostly, he mostly would take things like a, he was sort of collage things together. He'd make cat wax castings of crab shells and, and, right. and, um, and bird skulls and things and kind of fuse them together on the wax. But uh, whenever he needed something like a, like a human body or some, or some genitalia, it was quite often <laughs> sculpted. Uh, he'd often go, yeah, 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 I need a really, I need a huge, like, you know, baby erection for this thing that I'm doing. I know you're good at that. Thing, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> but one of the first things I did, yeah, one of the first things I did for him was this uh, little wax sculpture of uh, the Robert Williams character, Coochie Cootie. Oh yeah, and uh, for uh, for um, a bronze piece he was going to do with uh, with Williams, so um, so that was pretty cool. Got to meet Robert Williams at the gallery. Yeah, that's amazing. Had to, had to sign the back of it. So that was sort of the uh, sort of um, yeah quasi. Well, it, it was like to, in the real world. Yeah, I'm going to do work on a called professional yet. Right. Uh, though, but I started work, the professional stuff started when I began working in a place called Broadcast Arts. Uh, what I was doing um, like sculptures for back in the days of stop motion. Uh, when it needed puppets and things sculpted, I was huh. usually what that. year is this? Oh boy, this is going way back. This is uh, this is 1980. Now we're talking 80s here, right? 88, 88. Okay, now. okay, cool. 88 into 89, mm-hmm. and that whole phase. Uh, so I'm um, <clears throat> doing a lot of work for this uh, uh, one guy. He's uh, probably known more as a performer at this point, but um, a gentleman named Voltaire. Hmm. Who back in the day was doing a lot of animated like um, like ID spots for MTV. Okay. Did this really did this really cool Hieronymus Bosch inspired one. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, um, um, I'd be up um, in this uh, place on Ludlow Street, like sculpting characters to be turned into stop motion puppets and things. Wow. So yeah, so that was sort that was sort of um, um, the, the beginning of things. Actually, when I yeah. Oh uh, no, was it was were you kind of working your way up how was the pay for that kind of thing um it's it's <laughs> not exactly life supporting okay so it was it, kind of getting your foot in the door yeah and... it's more like hey like, i'm just over the experience pretty right much. right but, okay um, okay you know it's like when i actually got to live in new york city you know which was a little while later it was uh um that's again i was still doing some jewelry commission stuff I actually ended up doing some uh you know wedding band for our spiegelman of mouse oh, wow Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool because I ended up like he, he, his design was like it was him and uh, 
uh, Francois Mouly, you know, he wanted them represented as the mouse characters, and there would be white gold, um, the mice would be white gold against yellow gold. So it was a whole complex process that I'd never done before in my life. Wow. It kind of uh, helped me uh, through the process there. So That's you know, cool. But, um, but, you know, obviously the reality takes over and you got to, like, you know, um, maintain your position, so to speak, and where you're living. So what, that's when I pretty much wound up in the art asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just doing action figure prototypes, you know, working on things like these big uh, figures of the the band Kiss, and then going on and right. doing, uh, Star Wars watches and things like that. Wow. So how did you? Um, one thing I haven't mentioned is you've done Giger stuff, like Giger jewelry. How did that come about? Is yeah, that around that the same time, through, or is that later? Yeah, that sort of sprang out from uh, the Axel connection a little bit because Axel. Uh, knew Les Barony, who was uh, uh, Eager's agent, and I guess they hadn't spoken in a while. Then they got together, and uh, Les was looking at a couple of the pieces that I'd done around his place, and it was like, oh, 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 who, who, "Who did this piece?" And yeah. He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that guy Pacamoni." And I'm talking about this, and so that's kind of how that evolved. And uh, uh, and so Les called me and said they wanted to get some jewelry done for the Giger Museum, and um, started off with this little twisty. It was uh, one of his biomechanoids, his arm leg fusions. Mm-hmm. There are two of them kind of intertwined and all that. And so uh, sculpted that. And at that same, around the same time, Giger made one of his few uh, remaining um, visits to the U.S. Uh, was for, for something. I, I think there was an Airbrush Action Award thing he was going to. And mm-hmm. then he was um, there for uh, so some release party for bronze he was doing. So it was um, uh, one night at Voltaire's. Uh, then Giger was going to come uh, visit, visit us there. And so it was a kind of an interesting experience because he was the first for the first time here I was meeting one of my major heroes. Right. And he comes up to the door and he goes, hey, "Hello, I am Giga." I'm like, "No, slow." No, you're Giga. You know, it blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did and, you uh, talk to him or hang out? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was pretty cool because Ooh. he was um, a little tipsy that night. Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. We had to get the uh, <clears throat> the little sculpture I did approved. It's this little tiny little. Uh, tiny little arm leg uh, intertwined thing. And I'll, I'll never forget it. He was like uh, looking at the piece, kind of critiquing it. He goes, ah, yes, uh, let, let me show you what he's thing. And he took this little, like it was like a clump fly or something, and he put it on his uh, on his knee, on, on, right on his thigh, and he was kind of like, uh, with a ballpoint pen, he's drawing, he kept poking through the paper because there was no thing in the back, and he was like, uh, yes, I see the foot, uh, the must be longer, the, the feet must be long again, like fingers. <laughs> and you don't want uh, it's uh, too muscular, like a football player. So wow. I'll show you. And then he began drawing, and we we're all kind of like leaning in to see what he's doing. And he kept going, um, he perhaps like, oh, shit. <sighs> shit. <laughs> Shut <laughs> And we're all, for about 15 minutes, he's going back and forth. <laughs> we're like, what's he doing? <laughs> He's like, ah, maybe something like this. Not up any. <laughs> and then, then uh, um, when they left, uh, we sat there going, wow, that was bizarre. <laughs> and uh, like, wait, where's that piece of paper you were scribbling on? And we were looking all around. And finally, I found it. He crumbled it up and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> and so I saved it. And somewhere in one of my Giga books, I've got it. Oh, how cool. How cool. Wow. You, that's amazing. I never got <laughs> never got to meet him. I, I, he's one of my heroes, though. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's it's hard to you know, deny that. It's yeah. Just, yeah. The influence is pretty insane. I mean, he's kind of like, kind of the original, really. Yeah. It's amazing that because I remember I was talking with his uh, wife to be Carmen at the time when I was over because I spent a month in Switzerland uh, helping out on some stuff. Oh really? 
at, at his place. Yeah. Wow. A, no way. It was a dream experience. I bet. Um, oh my God! Came a few years later after their initial meeting, but uh, they're saying, "Hey, we're just talking about the phenomenon of his style, the fact that you know, before Giger, I mean, it, it's become kind of a style, the Giger-esque right. style." Right. <laughs> yep. But yeah, he was the first one to do that. Yeah. It's just kind of amazing that uh, um, some, every few generations, like something comes together and in uh, one person, and they produce this new vision. Right. So, right. So you were staying at his house. Yeah, no, so, so tell me about that. That's insane. That was pretty bizarre because uh, one half of it is Gigerland. It's black on black labyrinthian. There's mm-hmm. like shelves of books. It's the first time I found about Bachinsky, actually. I mean, I knew about Bachinsky's work, but it was you know only from that one slim volume that Morpheus put out. Right. But there's huge volumes, uh, these huge books that he had in his bookshelf that I was just absolutely fascinated by, and books on like Ernst Fuchs and people like that. Mm. And so you know that was like it was just this incredible just just. You could get lost in this. Yeah, uh, it was like a, a living kind of acid vision. You know, yeah, to, I saw. I saw in the uh, documentary them kind of cataloging his stuff and just so much stuff stacked all over the place. You know, just so much stuff. Yeah, I could get lost in those rooms because I, I remember one time I woke up kind of early, I think, and I was just kind of absentmindedly going from room to room. And uh, there was one again, just a shelf full of art books and i'm seeing like little castings of uh, the alien and right like, from the original suit and you know, there, there were these fiberglass castings and things and then from far end of the room i hear hello Paul, is that you and i'm like <laughs> oh yeah yeah and it's uh oh yeah i didn't know i didn't see you there and i see his feet i realize oh my god that's where he sleeps it's this little shoe box of a room that he spends most of his time in wow just listening to music and just doodling. Mm. And uh, I'll never forget this. He was like, uh, sorry, um, uh, Paul, I was sure not be perhaps coming out today. I have um, eaten some mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, hey, been there, done that. Have a great time. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> how, did you, uh, how did you get that gig? I mean, what was the deal with that? It was kind of like through, it was like um, partially through, I, I guess, arrangements through Les and through Carmen, mm-hmm. uh, Carmen Giger, yeah. So uh, um, I was basically, I was sent out there to, to uh, I think they, they wanted to get one of those Raconan chairs sculpted at first, uh, you know, one of those, uh, you know, the things you see everyone sitting in. And uh, it was one of those things where uh, it's, uh, I was like, oh, I don't know if that's my thing, because basically it was, they wanted it so precise. It was one of those things where you had to measure down percentages. You had to, right. oh, if this is this long, then the miniature's got to be this. It's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, that's hard. And pretty much they kind of got the fact that I, that wasn't my thing. So they said, oh, I think we've got something more fun for you. And so we decided to do this uh, this Baphomet uh, pentagram-like thing. Right. Uh, so uh, so that, that, that ended up being the thing I did for them. Yeah, that thing's great. <clears throat> That's amazing. Wow. I had yeah, no so idea. Yeah, so that was extraordinary. Yeah. He's the most down-to-earth person just uh, just talking to him. Right. Casually. Yeah, it seemed to- like that, I, you know, from yeah. what I could gather. But it's great to hear. It's great to have that confirmed that he was just like a cool down-to-earth person. Like oh, yeah. It's most of the dark art people are, you know. That's what we're always saying on the show is, you know, most of the people into this kind of artwork are so cool and down to earth and good people, you know? Yeah. Cause also I think they get a lot out of their system too, but mm-hmm. I, I, I know it's one of the reasons I got into the stuff that I got into is because so many things used to just 
horrify me and paralyze me and disturb me as a kid. Yeah, same here. Uh, that is one way of uh, kind of, you know, kind of exercising it, it or something. Yeah, yeah, in a sense, you, you kind of put it through your own filter. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned before in the podcast that my when I was going to therapy in the '90s, that my therapist said that it, it was a sense. It's a way of gaining mastery they call it mastery it is, yeah yeah so it's like you're you create the visions and then you're in charge of them you're in control of them exactly you them and so then then they become not scary because you made them you know you're the boss yes yeah you know? that's precisely it in fact uh, uh in, a, in a funny way and, and also as life goes on it becomes this thing where uh, you feel like you're kind of at the center of it at least that's why i felt for a little while and mm-hmm. uh, i've had I mean, this year had some ups and downs too, but uh, I've had whenever I get into a depressive state or when I find myself uh, not not quite where I should be, right? <clears throat> there's a, something that happens where I become afraid of the dark again. Mm. And I think, well, why am I afraid? I feel like I, I feel like a child, like the way the dark is just scaring me as a child. Right. And I realize, oh my God, it's not my dark anymore. It's the dark of the unknown. Right, it's right. The dark thing and everything that's swinging around in there is like it's it's probably not got the best intentions and right. uh, so, uh yeah so that was a weird thing to relive and, uh, yeah it's like you lose. it was kind of interesting to go back there and have to and realize oh that's that's why it's scaring me right right yeah that's interesting it's like you lose your sense of mastery or something when you're yeah yeah like it, it becomes yeah, yeah yeah it gets withdrawn from you now mm-hmm. it's like you're, at, you're at mercy again so that's interesting an interesting point really when you think about it is that when you disconnect from your shadow side in that way it becomes a separate thing and then it becomes scary and you know dangerous feeling yeah whereas yeah. when it's in- integrated into your personality it's not no longer scary and then there's kind of yeah there's nothing something, to be afraid something of. about that you you are of this thing so right uh, so you're sort of immune to it yeah what but, a trip. Uh, yeah yeah it, it is pretty weird because i found uh during during that phase too i was uh really alarmed and disturbed by things that usually don't disturb me right uh, and uh, just this awful nasty stuff that i could look at and with a certain sense of objectivity i can say okay well it's awful but right uh, there's a filter over it where i can kind of deal with it but, right mm, but when you're <laughs> compromised it's just the worst and you know, it's like wow how, how could i even look at that kind of thing right yeah yeah <laughs> well part you know part of that too is getting older i know that the older i get oh, yeah. the less the more st- sensitive i am to stuff like you know real violent images i used to look at that stuff when i was younger and it would be kind Mm -hmm. of like this you know like faces of death and all that and you'd be like you know can i get through it and like Mm, you know you you know you'd look at it to to freak yourself out and fasten morbidly fascinated with it but then the older i get and it seems like it comes from having a greater sensitivity towards you know the feelings of others and compassion oh yeah you soften yeah. a bit you know and i think that's actually a good thing really i think so too you yeah, know your, your humanity and empathy grows right um, right hopefully it does yeah <laughs> <laughs> you go one way or you go the other way and it goes the reverse <laughs> but it's true though no it's uh, uh i've talked about this with uh, friends too it said it's a little unsettling that just uh, going online just a click away is the worst conceivable right. thing you will ever see in your life. Exactly. Yeah, it stuff ruin that will you and, yeah, I know, uh, totally just, scar just, you uh, and appear to you in your dreams and right, all that right. kind of thing. And it's so strange that we live in that age. It's, mm-hmm. age, it's very video drone like. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do you, you know, will you subject yourself to this and what, will you be able to deal with the consequences of right, right. what it does to your brain afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's. Let, let, I want to kind of get through just real quick the rest of your career to where you're at now. 
so that we can get into some other uh, kind of things I wanted to ask you about. So let's. Uh, how, how did how did you end up here? Let's let's go from there. You were in New York. You were doing the jewelry stuff. You started doing the uh, toys for that one company. And what happened from then? To, yeah, well, it turned to get like it was between that and then the Giger stuff, and that kind of bled into like when I moved to Philly. Um, I was doing. I guess I was doing more. I was doing some work out here for for another company that was doing toys. Uh, they're doing larger collectible statues and things like that. So I began making more visits out to the West Coast, and uh, just to the people I uh, I knew out here. You know, they knew people, and I was like, oh yeah, I'd love to tag along and, and meet this person or that person. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how, how things kind of um, started percolating in this whole sense of like, well, I think that's a logical next step for me. But uh, yeah, I want to be out here, and that's what I should be doing. But um, but at the time, anyway, I was doing. Um, design work for Wizards of the Coast and uh, and then around the same time uh, that's when uh, Mike Moreno contacted me because so we met over back at that toy studio actually I think he was there for um, uh, about a week or so realized it wasn't his thing and mm-hmm. uh, decided to just continue with the, um, the makeup stuff elsewhere and so um, and that's, that's kind of how my career sort of like progressed uh, for lack of a better term um, back east is that uh, there's far less People in specialized, um, uh, I guess, areas of, uh, of, uh, of their career out there. Let's so, so there's more and more of a sense of like they. Um, I had people calling me because Paul, hey, look, I know you do this one thing, but uh, and I know there might be a bit of a thing you need to like uh, a bit of a learning curve, but I know you can do this based on your d- detail and your tenacity and the stuff you put into your work. I know you can do this other thing too. <laughs> right. but that's how I got into doing the uh, the prosthetic makeup work. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a matter of the fact that I, you know, I had a certain, I had a certain biological sense that right. the things like that. So, yeah, yeah. so, so I, so I like that because it kept me from feeling like I was stagnating. So I like to do different things, and I mm-hmm. think that's uh, um, why I thought, you know, it, it kind of like brings more more to life. I think if you can go, oh, cool, cool, I'm doing, I'm learning this stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Absolutely. So that was pretty fascinating too. So I guess within that within that period, I think where I was doing the uh, um, uh, the, the makeup stuff, and then um, then making more trips out to the West Coast and all that, and uh, meeting people like Jordi Michel, oh, right. and yeah, and, and, um, and people like that, uh, they were very encouraging. And, and there's oh, this is where you need to be. Yeah, and yeah. It's kind of got the ball rolling, and uh, eventually found myself out here in, in rather. Uh, uh, it wasn't the uh, the smoothest transition. No, <laughs> uh, I just came. Out, I was like, screw it. All, all I can do is just carry uh, all the stuff that I can carry with me right now, and just crash over at a friend's guest house, my friend uh-huh. Warren Myers, who uh, um, uh, helped me get established in the area, uh-huh. and then sort of improvised from there, and so and uh, to see where things went because the recession hit at that time too. Right. So I remember, no, hardly anyone was working at that period. Right. Right. I remember, yeah, having to uh, kind of scramble and just do whatever was available. And doing some um, uh, prototype painting for some collectible stuff, mm. and then I got a call from Sideshow, so I was doing work with them. And then uh, mm. from that point, um, about a year later, as soon as I finished the gig for Sideshow, got a call from Jordan Shell saying, "Hey, look, we're uh, over at uh, ADI, and we're working on the prequel to the movie The Thing, and uh, we want you as the des- as, a, as a designer for this thing." And so that's how that uh, took off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bid on that too. Uh, spectral bit on that when I was working there. 
that was a disappointment, right? Because didn't everything you do get kind of CG'd over? Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny thing. It's all the sculptures you did were incredible, man. Oh, thanks. It, on the ground level, it swear it would be the best monster movie ever. Right. Amazing crew. Mostly, mostly new people, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah and people like uh, you know, Casey Love and Mikey Rotella right. and uh, uh, Mio Nakamura. And, and it was just uh, an incredible team creating these things and you see these incredible sculptures of these things getting wheeled out going, us. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then at the end of the day, you know, you get this other thing, you know, I'm looking for anything actually sculpted in this. There's right. some things I designed. I'm like, that's pretty much what I drew. Yeah, sure. But as far as like what I actually sculpted, I remember I saw this is one withered arm on one of the thing creatures, this female, female creature. And I'm like, oh, there it is on screen, <laughs> and it's on fire. <laughs> so I was like, well, all right, no. Yeah, I, I I told the story before of meeting with the the producer and director, and they just didn't seem like fans of the movie. They just didn't seem it into a, it. They were seeing, right? yeah. they were nice and all, but th- they just didn't seem like they they didn't have that kind of reverence that we it all didn't, had. It didn't really, yeah, I got that impression that. Yeah, even though he said he wanted to push the practical end of things. Yeah, yeah right. Hey, whatever. <laughs> that is just so. That, I mean, that's you know one of the one of the many reasons I kind of got out of the industry is it's just that's common, man. To do to work your ass off on something and pour your heart into it and have it get CG'd over or cut out of the movie or. Yeah, know. yeah. Got some amazing things come up and some great opportunities that I uh, was. Um, doing lots of design work for out here and um most of it did not make it any further than the design right but it looked like it must have been so much fun sculpting for that show yeah it was it was uh one of the best points of my life yeah it went on for a lot longer than i thought i think we were initially thinking that's gonna be a couple of months but it pretty much went on on and off all year because oh really yeah i remember uh we worked in this beautiful uh um alien creature for this uh, scene at the end where there's supposed to be the pilots of the alien spaceship that brought the thing to Earth. Uh, there's supposed to be one that comes to life, it's actually a thing creature, and so it was this combination of like a design by Jordu, he did the body for it, and I think someone else designed the head, and so we had to discover a full-size creature for it, so it was me and um, it was about five of us on that thing, and uh, we were all really happy with the way this thing turned out. And at the last minute, um, it was removed entirely from the film and they said, right. yeah, we, uh, yeah, they got rid of it. Uh, this didn't, it didn't make sense. And now we've got to come up with a whole new creature like pronto. So wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was fun too. You had to get this big scanning like that for it, which I think mean, looks, looks pretty good. Looks so good Do you have pictures of everything at least? Uh, yeah, yeah. I got a nice, I got a disc of all the stuff I did for it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Cause uh, the, so, yeah, ADI was very cool about that. Yeah, I've never. That's one. I never worked at ADI. I never worked at. Yeah, it's a good place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, once I got to Rick's, it was like that was so great working there that no, nothing. He Spectral was cool, but man, Rick's is just so big and time. Uh, there's always time and money, and you know it looks. It's built like you know it looks like a castle inside, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's a big graveyard inside <laughs> when you come into work. It's yeah, pretty, pretty damn cool. And it's, and it's a storage facility now. He sold yeah, a storage know, facility, right. like just people storing their shit. It's like there could not be oh. more of irony, dark irony there, I guess, you know, for this yeah. amazing studio that now is just full of a bunch of crap people can't 
uh, don't have space for in their house, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when I heard her, uh, he was shutting it down. I was like, oh, it's a sign of the times if there ever was. Yeah, I know. Yeah. End of an era. So right now you're just kind of a freelancer, uh, working on what sideshow stuff and yeah, mostly been yeah you know, the last few years have been pretty consistently working with sideshow. Those are fun, fun, uh, fun jobs. If you you know, I I like I like doing. I did the thing for sideshow the yeah, thing, yeah, thing buzz. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. And it was and it's so fun to not have to worry about how the mechanism's gonna wrinkle, how it's gonna, you know, how it's how it has to move, and you can put expression in it and not have to worry about you know because everything in effects usually. You have to put like a neutral expression or it has to be kind of, you know, it can only do so much and you have to That's, yeah, sculpt yeah. wrinkles in so that when it, when the mechs go, it like wrinkles properly. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's, I, I like doing those collectible busts because it's just, you know, they're more like, they're like more like art, you know? Yeah, yeah. So right now, I mean, there's only, there's only the one thing that's not going to make sure it breaks down okay for molding and all that. Right, yeah, yeah. Parts for it, so. Yeah, um, yeah, that's always a bit of a challenge, but uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a cool challenge. Uh, you like working for those guys? I, yeah, I yeah, they, they've been fantastic. Yeah, I know Tom Tom Gilliland. Yeah, uh, he's one of the owners. I, I worked with him at Rick Rick Baker's. He was I, I actually he trained me to take over for him in the paint department. Oh my god, that, yeah. that's so great. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing I remember seeing Tom actually. I remember I, I visited visited Rick's place. Uh, it was like mid nineties, I think. Um, for a gig I was on with DC Comics, I was doing um, uh, statues of the characters for the film Batman and Robin. And so no, no uh, back in the days, yeah, back in the days when the studios were very stingy about uh, reference photos and things. Now you got a Bible and stuff. Right. Um, so they said, Paul, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually fly you out to Burbank. I was still in Jersey at the time. And you'll get to see the costumes, like, you know, upfront and personal, that kind of thing. Right. So And so that was amazing. So I got out there and I met uh, Jose Fernandez. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. So, or in this, yeah, again, I, I really didn't know who he was until he showed me his portfolio. I was like, oh my God, he did this. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, and um, he was cool enough just to, you know, he, he drove me over to Rick's just to, you know, meet everyone. Oh, there. cool. And, uh, and so it was pretty cool. They were just getting them, uh, I guess they were just getting ready to start on Muddy Joe Young, I think. So there's this huge gorilla uh, kind of oh, frame yeah, yeah. being set up there. And, uh, and yeah, and, and, yeah, there was Tom there. So it was a pretty interesting. Um, uh, pretty interesting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great place. So um, now, okay. So uh, you haven't really shown a ton in like a fine art context, right? That's the thing. That's that's definitely where I want to go. Oh, it's um, like you're so meant for it. Your it's, work it's is not, yeah, right. It's I like make little forays into it, and maybe I'm a little bit here, a little bit there, but. Uh, you know, it's kind of I know. I'd love to just cover a wall with stuff, whether it's just a, a big painted piece or some some enormous like orgiastic sculpture or something like that. Right, but, right. Yeah, that's well. You know, I started sculpting, and I realized it was not practical to sculpt and mold and cast to make a living. Yeah. I had to make money, so I went into to oil painting because those were a lot faster for me to do. And I was, you know, I could do prints off of that. It was my kind of lo logical thinking. Um, but you can do all kinds of mediums, you know. So you're just your stuff is it needs to be in galleries. It's 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 a matter of really, uh, I think, just recontextualizing what you're doing and putting it in the context of a gallery setting because yes. it's, it's already, yeah. you know, your stuff is so unique. It's it's already like its own kind of even the concept work you do is very much. It could be shown in a gallery, I think, you know. 
No, thanks. Yeah, so we got to figure out a way to get you in the galleries more. Yeah, time. I think. I t- we we yeah exactly. We talked about this when we had didn't we have we had Zello. Right, we went to the pizza place out by my yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, with, with Travis. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about this. I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh, yeah, we got to make it happen because. Yeah, would... that's why. Again, I think we were discussing uh, Patreon and uh, the fact that I'm not not there yet. Oh uh, yeah, but, yeah, that was it. That was at the Travis show that we yeah, just yeah. saw each other. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, you do you do great at it. Um, but I know you've got a lot going on. I mean, you kind of yeah. Just the transitioning would be the uh, the challenge too. Right. Do you... a lot of obligations. I got commissions to still to finish. And oh man, I am that nature. <laughs> so yeah, I, I know those things. So it's it's not something I have to deal with um, back east because I might have gotten if I was lucky, maybe one commission per year, and right. it's bliss doing that. And now when I'm in this situation where I'm a bit, my time's a bit more compromised, suddenly things get backed up. And, uh, like, uh, yeah, and you mentioned the cost of living out here is a lot more expensive. Yeah, yeah. So I'm constantly having to do damage control and that kind of thing. And so then that's a whole other challenge. Yeah, but you're, you know, you're, you are an independent artist, which is great. You know, I, I just, I think, uh, I don't want to put it that way, but I, let me just say that, you know, uh, you're, I think you're underrated for for what your capa- capabilities are. I really think you should be, no, you so. know, you're, and, and I, I get that you're making a living uh, working for studios, but you, you really have a vision. Um, your work is truly visionary and you're, you're a visionary. So it's uh, everyone should support Paul um, uh, any way they can. And maybe he'll get his Patreon going because I would I would jump on that in a second. I'd love to see your behind the scenes stuff. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's about supporting the artists you love. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. you know, the more people that support you and buy your artwork, when you offer it for sale, this is going to help you uh, get more into the, the gallery scenes. Cause you're, you know, you've got the connections, you've got the talent and you've got this amazing body of work. It's just a matter of like kind of having a little bit of time to, to go in that direction, yeah. you know, is this sort of how I had to um, kind of like reflect on my time out here in LA? And pretty much, it's kind of what is the what has been kind of growing since I arrived here is the fact that I have um, uh, got myself, you know, you know, out there a lot more mm-hmm. to the point where people are picking up on what I do. And yeah, get that. Oh, we, oh, we can do this stuff too, or we right. got this other thing inside of them that's like screaming to get out. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and it wasn't that way a few years ago. So, um, so, so I, I, so I take a lot of um, encouragement from the fact that uh, things have, uh, things are a lot different um, in regards to how I'm perceived uh, now, as opposed to when I first got out here. Yeah. Do you, do you you're selling? You sell stuff yourself, don't you? From time to time on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. I've got some artwork, or, or if I, you know, just a, uh, I says, oh, oh no, my guinea pig's losing her fur. Or, right. Um, <laughs> but, you, know, you know, she's okay now, but uh, I was kind That's of scared. Good. Yeah, I'll yeah. do a couple of cartoon drawings or something like that. And uh, so I've got this character named Bertold. He's this little squashy little alien creature guy that uh, I, uh, people who know my uh, my Facebook account or my Instagram, that they know who he is. He's this little eye stock creature, right. yeah. And he's the reason I drew him is he came out of this anxiety attack I was having back in 2011. And <laughs> it was this thing I used to draw. It was my first recurring character I used to draw. And I don't even know if it was my idea. Who knows? Maybe my neighbor drew it first. I don't know. But I kind of 
took it and ran with it. And I had this army of little yellow creatures, like with little snail eyes that I always draw. Uh-huh. And, I, and every few years as I grew up, I kept thinking, well, how, how would you look at my drawing now? Mm-hmm. And so I'd every fucking few years, I'd just uh, do another version of them until I began putting them into my latest sketchbook, one, one of them anyway. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine was saying, Paul, you've got to do something with that character. That's so great. And I'm like, really? Okay, I'll see where this goes. <laughs> And before he knew it, he had a life of his own. And my friend, uh, my good friend, Justin Humphreys, gave him the name after years and years of not knowing what to call this thing. And we were kind of batting it back and forth. Um, he's like, what about Bertold? I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? When you know a title, you just know, you know, it's like one of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes the name comes first. And mm-hmm. in this case. Uh, in a lot of cases, the visual right. comes first, and I have to just rack my brain just to figure out what to call the thing. Right, right. I know. Yeah. That's kind of a... Uh, I, I enjoy that aspect when I'm not pressed for time. Um, yeah. Because you really, for me, when it comes when you come up with a good name of a character or a title, it's like it hits you and you go... The re- the good, the right one, when it's right, you just kind of know it. And you're like, oh, that's it. And it might not even really make sense, but you just intuitively have this feeling that it's the right name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love random stuff too. The more right. I do with friends out here are um, exquisite corpses. The oh yeah. Over, over and, you, and someone draws the head, someone draws the body, yeah. and someone else draws the feet. Yeah. I love that stuff because again, you come up with these brilliant uh, juxtapositions of, uh, of just, just completely random bizarreness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I've, I've tried to save all the ones that I've done with uh, the people that I know, and um, ho- hopefully get them to some sort of cohesive form at some point. Right, that'd be a great book in itself. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's that's the thing is you could kind of, and it's hard to make money with books though. That's the thing. But, yeah, but you. I thought it would be, yeah, be a fun gallery show. Uh, to, if if we someone did like a theme, the theme would be exquisite corpses. Right. So you have artists to do the corpses themselves, the drawings, and then get another artist again to get to do a sculpture of that thing. Right. Yeah, that would be cool. Weird, it would be probably not. It wouldn't happen overnight, but it'd be a right. cool thing to work for. I think a retrospective of your work at Copro would be pretty awesome. Yeah, just yeah, like all your. I mean, you could fill that gallery. I think with everything you've got over the years, including photographs of sculpture work, and you know, treat you as like this jack of all trades, and just kind of show all these different things. <clears throat> uh, that would be cool. Because it's always a feeling of like, how do I? Because it's a question that's always come up. It's like, well, Paul, what are you? What do you do? Yeah, you I, do a lot of different things. I'm like, well, I just uh, yeah, I just try to get as much of myself out through these various mediums as possible. And right. I think that's what's happened over the last few years recently is just the fact that it's starting to become its own life form. Right. Uh, yeah. Now I've been here there and uh, you know, it's going to get me worried for a while. It's like, God, I just, I just don't have a, I don't have a center. I don't have like, Oh, here's a huge body of work in this one medium or, or a bunch of paintings or a bunch of sculptures. Well, yeah, that's the kind of the danger of, we're not the danger, but that's one of the pitfalls of being <clears throat> like a, <clears throat> working in a service type industry where you're creating work for other people is that you, you don't have your own sense of self. It's like your sense of self is defined through uh, the medium you're using for doing stuff for other people. And then when I first started painting, when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I was, I've told the story before. I just sat in front of a canvas and I was just blank. I had no idea what to do without someone telling me, okay, it's a 
three-armed monster yeah. or something, yeah. just some starting yeah, point. I, I run into that problem, too, because I'm like, there's so many possibilities of what to do. Right, exactly. It's like, sometimes why you... I, I just have someone say, Paul, just paint this thing. Right. This is one thing, you know, you don't have to kill yourself over it, just do it. Uh, have you have, have you thought of like a, a series of an art, fine oh, art series uh, that yeah, you'd like yeah. to do? It, 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 uh, and it's not really occurring to me right now, but there's always something I look at in my book and, or my sketchbooks and say, right. I'd love this to do 10 of these, or right. variations of this, or, or, and, uh, and, and again, I just put little footnotes in these books and come back to them later and say if they're still, uh, see if they're still viable. And I mean, they're all, they're all potentially good ideas. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean is you're st- you just have so much material there to work with. It's just a matter of kind of like doing, yeah, it, doing it. Yeah, like g- g- making yeah. a decision and, and uh, you know, like it would be great if you had like a manager or something that could just kind of. Someone just said, hey, just just do this. No, no, no. Yeah, just, just, no. <laughs> exactly. You do make the art. Ambitious here, just this one thing. And, <laughs> and I think it's something we were, again, there was that uh, one time we were all hanging out with, uh, with Travis at one time and just the whole idea of just kind of having this very kind of almost a minimalist approach, like almost like what you do with your portraits, you know, and, right. uh, which is, it's, it's a focal point of something and everything kind of like grows from that. Right. Uh, and, and there's always, there's always like, yes, it's on one level it's a portrait of a monster, but there's so much more coming through it. There's sort of, right. a monopoly. yeah, so, yeah. Which, yeah. Which is sort of an interesting thing about when I thought, think about what dark art is as opposed to other things, you know, there's something about the fact that on one level it is something that's, on the surface, kind of creepy, but there's something more there. There's something kind of illuminated inside right. that's emerging. Uh, Absolutely, so, almost almost a sacred element. If exactly. That. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, like a spiritual kind of quality. Yes, to it. very much so. And, uh, and and you know when you see it, it's hard to, to put it into words sometimes. But you, right. you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's I, I I wish somebody would some like a uh, uh, smart person smarter than me <laughs> someone like that was a scientist or a researcher would research this because i think this is a really unusual phenomena that is happening and it's been here yeah, kind of yeah. all along but you know it's i guess maybe no one's taken it seriously enough to study it but i think yeah, it's kind it, of it's really i haven't really read anything uh, about it that articulates it quite that way right right uh, and it's the kind of thing that i um hear back from people when i show them some of my more even my more grotesque pieces things based on disfigurements and actual right. yeah yeah it's like this is you know it's such a disturbing image but there's a beauty to it right. as well it's sort of like in my head, and again, I, I was unable to really explain it myself, but I was like, yeah, but there's something, you know, whenever I really get into something, uh, there is something that I'm trying to uh, bring out of even the most uh, horrendous um, disfigurement sometimes. Uh, right. Uh, things are just, just glowing underneath. Right, so, yeah. it's kind of, And on one level, it's kind of an alchemical process. It's sort of, you know, taking the crap and turning it to gold you know it's taking yeah, it's no, tra- yeah, yeah. transmutation of something ugly and distasteful and turning it into yeah. something beautiful yeah. and what yeah, find, yeah finding the beauty in it yeah yeah and, there, and there's like a spiritual component to that it's very 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 much you so. know and kind of a noble thing to do i think in a way you know yeah again that's like it's mm-hmm. uh, um the kind of thing that again everyone sees it they're not they can't really define it but there's some so there's People would say there's a dignity to this piece right, somehow. Or, right. Or there's this character that's emerging from it. I don't know what it is, but but meanwhile, it's this rather appalling, you know, kind of right. Kind of, or even know. a sense of yeah. of empathy, you know. Yes. Uh, yes. Which I mean, is something about the 
the humanity comes through the piece. Right, the, right. Uh, what it is that uh, kind of gives the uh, the monstrous quality a lot more weight. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it's kind of the secret sauce element because you could just paint a bunch. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you could paint a bunch of gross stuff, but without that human that humanity in there without that special ingredient it's not really dark art i don't think yeah it doesn't it doesn't elevate it beyond just being kind of uh, you know and i like this kind of stuff too but you know something that's kind of more sensationalist and just yeah exactly exactly Uh, yeah here's a gory mess or whatever right right yeah yeah it's nice things about gory messes yeah (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) yeah uh, you know anything done really well can kind of i don't know can can go into that get get up to that level if you if you kind of put yourself into it and you really love it and you do it well. Um, I just what tri- it trips me out that you know trips me out that Giger was doing this because uh, I feel like we're okay. I feel like as a as a community we are kind of on our own. Don't you know we we, we haven't there's not a lot of like I said you know research into this idea about dark art or even you know a lot of discussion other than what we're doing amongst ourselves to try and understand it and to think of a guy like Giger doing that um from the 60s right I mean he was doing stuff from the 60s imagine you know being that alone I mean that's pretty amazing that he was and Bekshinsky as well it's like oh my god yeah these these guys were doing it with no sense support from the community somehow uh I know uh, Bekchinsky kind of was successful in the fine art world. His his stuff s- somehow was able to kind of sneak in the fine art world where it sh- belonged, you know, of course. But um, normally that stuff doesn't get accepted by the mainstream. But yeah, yeah. But I, it just trips me. I, I think about you know what it must have been like for Giger and these guys and you know yeah because apparently uh, I remember reading interviews with Giger where he said like in a lot of his early shows you know people just be you know spitting on his pieces really they're they're so they were just so revolted by what they saw (laughs) confused I'm sure not not knowing how to feel about it it's incredible I don't know it's 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 a great I think it's a great time for for people dark artists you know like ourselves yeah i think so too and uh, and i love the fact that there is a very supportive community because uh yeah i mentioned it before but it's interesting I mean, growing up <clears throat> through the uh, scene in New York where you meet this, uh, all these amazing talents of you know, different different mediums and things like that. But there was a lot of tension, lots of competitiveness right. uh, between a lot of them. Uh, a, a lot of uh, sort of uh, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Right. Attitude between us. And so you talk to one because, you know, you know, I'd be doing work for one or the other and all that. And then. And the name would come up, and there'd always be this kind of scowl. I'm like, "Oh God, that guy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, you know, like hard to get anyone to say anything good about anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm really, uh, it's really pretty cool that uh, that's not the case here, and uh, that everyone's really, really pretty, and uh, you know, just just very, very, very supportive. Yeah. Very supportive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's specifically, I think the, I think the dark art community in general is like that now, but particularly, uh, particularly. In LA, it really is the. It's like I, I keep saying it's like ground zero. Not that it was originated here, but this is where the home of dark art is. I think because most of the, um, I think most of it, not all, but uh, let, let me say a lot of the dark artists are actually living here in LA, and we have shows together a lot, and we're always supporting yeah. each other. It's very, you know, that's why you know getting a show for you together is, I'm sure 
every one of your colleagues would be totally supportive of it, you know, because, you know, that's how we are out here in, in, in this scene. It's very like everyone's trying to get each other shows and help each other out. Yeah, that's no, wonderful. And I like that everyone's uh, um, it's like the people are constantly going, Paul, so when's the show? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's only because <laughs> it's just it's it's only because you're amazing. So that's going to happen. You yeah. know? <laughs> so I'm glad there's a sort of an upward thrust. So <laughs> It's yeah, like everyone's here, everyone's so. rooting for you, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's 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 been fantastic out here. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, we've talked about it. I've <laughs> got a lot of downs as far as a basic, you know, you know, day to day, month to month, year to year life kind of thing. But uh, yeah. basic artist to artist, human level, it's been it's been absolutely sensational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I, I kind of, you know, grew up. Let me see. I don't know. My early adult years, I was really kind of down on LA just because it was so Hollywood and I don't yeah. Know, I no, kinda... no, believe me, there are times I just wanted to split. Right. You know, <laughs> you, you know down to your last dollar in your account and your rents due, and yeah, it's like I am so done with this place. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, people can go after my, my Facebook feed. There's some I've had some special moments. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but um, overall, though, you know, you, when it comes down, like you said, the the human element and the the environment here is is really pretty oh, amazing. Tremendous. Yeah, it really it's yeah. people in that out here. So what do you got coming up? I mean, you, are you just kind of working on commissions right now? And Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. As far as I can see right now, it's, 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 I mean, I'm working on other things on the side here. Just my own artwork. I've been doing things oh, for uh, for various companies in Japan, too, over the years as well, too. And that was an interesting kind of thing. And what was literally that? Came, no, it literally came from a couple of pieces I just put on Facebook and uh, some, some some kaiju, some Japanese monsters and things that I've worked oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there'd be a collector who said, "Hey, or some guy who was, uh, had a company and say, I loved your take on that monster. Could you could we get a sculpture of that?" And that's how that ball got rolling. So there's an interesting kind of connection uh, with uh, Japan right now. That was uh, that's pretty new, I, I think, is in regards to my life anyway. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I've had people uh, sculptors in Japan uh, do very very uh, uh, um, very precise reproductions of my style in mm. their sculptures like based on work that i've done for them like if i design something like that i've had uh, two creatures uh in this hp lovecraft series that are now being um that have been beautifully rendered by other artists yeah now and uh they'll be available as uh, as kits and then pre-painted statues right you, you posted those did you post those on facebook yeah 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 those are incredible yeah, those were yeah. They were, I was really happy with those. It's almost like a. Uh, I wonder if there's going to be a resurgence. Remember those Billiken kits? The, yes, the, yes, those I things were amazing. Those, I know. Oh my god! It was like this kind of little short period, this kind of golden age of these vinyl toys, where they aren't they, they weren't like cute little cutesy toys. They were like really amazing sculptures of monsters and movie monsters. You know? Yeah, and I love Billiken in particular. It's really obscure things too. Yeah. They did. Uh, is it uh, the thing? It conquered the world. Beulah, that the big cucumber uh, uh, thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Saucer men. Oh, it's brilliant. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They did such, and the sculptures were so good. They were just like ah. Oh, they made you like you looked at them, and you're just like ah. Oh, this is the way it should be done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, hopefully that'll come back around because that I never understood why that kind of went away. It's weird, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, Actually, look at that whole that whole period in the '90s, say, and then or in like, it was like the late '80s into the '90s, 
or it was kind of thriving. And that's kind of, in a funny way, it sort of moved out of Japan in a sense. And I'm seeing a lot of stuff in different parts of Asia outside mm-hmm. of Japan where people have picked up that mantle mm-hmm. and are doing extraordinary uh, uh uh, just just sculptures as kits and things uh, of, of these like insect hybrid monsters right. and, and it's just gorgeous stuff but it's uh yeah it, it's nice to see it kind of simmering and uh percolating and returning in, in, in different places yeah right now it's all about cute 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 yeah oh, i, <laughs> I want to get back I want to get back to the uh, the visceral stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the realistic stuff. That's not cartoony yeah. stuff. I mean, I, I have a full appreciation of that cartoony stuff because it's it's actually not easy to do. I, I I've never felt like it was easy for me anyway because you have to be you know when you do the cartoony There's stuff. There's a very specific. Style and you have to yeah, and you have to be very simple and you have to get your point across. But it's it's kind of cool in the in the sense of uh, the simplicity element. You know, because it's always very difficult to get to make a point with something that's very simple like that. But that's not where my heart lies. You know, my heart lies with intricate, amazingly detailed, realistic sculptures. Yeah, very biomorphic things. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, what's what are the uh, that Japanese dude in the uh, creature core? The creature. Oh, uh, Nirasawa. Yeah, Nirus. Those you things were uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, but, yeah, I got to meet him once at Comic-Con. Oh, really? 2000, actually. Yeah, it was actually, uh, when I was still with the artist album, we went out there for, uh, I don't know, just not to represent the company with uh, the guy who owned it. And um, I remember the first person we met when we checked into the uh, um, hotel was Nirasawa. He was, like, in the lobby. Wow. <laughs> he turned around and said, oh, hey, Paul Komodo. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> wow, that's amazing, man. But he was cool. So we got to talk for a little while and all that. Uh, over at his booth because I think it might have been one of the few times he was actually at Comic Con. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that glad to meet him at one time. Those and, things uh, were I, when I saw those when I first saw that book. It was just so inspiring. I couldn't it's believe someone was doing that. You know, it's just like like they just did it, and it was so unusual. And yeah, know, it was that whole group of them, like right, Takia, uh, Takia, people like that. Yeah, right. Genius work and. Uh, and again, that's uh, that was sort of an interesting period, sort of a '90s thing. Yeah, yeah. That got kind of occluded after a certain. I point. know why. I wonder. And, and you could feel it, you could feel the vacuum. It was like, oh man, there right, 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 right. It's so sad that Nirasawa was gone now. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. I still can't believe that. Yeah, how old was he when he? Um, good question. I think he was just a few years older than we are. I how think. did he die? Um, I never got the full story on that. Huh. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it was, one he of was young. I, yeah, he's t- yeah, yeah. I remember someone told me. I was like, "Oh, really?" And there was some kind of organ failure or something. Like oh, that. weird. Like, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, that's about as much as I know. What a bummer. It was just so, it was just so out of the blue. It was like, Phew. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're getting up there, so that's why we, we got <laughs> we got to keep cranking work out. I uh, know. I exactly try to stay he- as healthy as we can. Yeah, I know. I know. It a, it's a funny thing. Someone was asking. I think I was talking about this with Travis and. He was asking me, um, so, so Paul, do you, do you think about what you're going to be like when you're really old and what's uh, how <laughs> like you to be? I'm like, well, I, I've met enough people to know how I wouldn't want to have <laughs> right. certain activ- extracurricular activities I might want to hold off on. Right. <laughs> but to keep as much, uh, you know, my mental faculties vital as, you know, for as long as I can, you know, keep them going. Right, right. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be some inarticulate slobbering, you know. Yeah, right. Corpse by the end of it, uh, <laughs> but who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. The weird thing about getting older, because I just turned fifty-one 
um, this month. And yeah. the weird thing about getting older is how fast time really, your perception of time oh, speeds yeah, up. Yeah, whenever you go, yeah. Absolutely. Every year it gets faster. The, you're suddenly the last three, four years, boom, here I am. Right. And, 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 uh, I think, um, Having so much information also makes it even for younger people feel like time I think is that's moving the thing faster. Because like, we're in a completely different age where there's so much accessible, and there's so much distraction, right? So many ways to you know just to just to pour our brains into this or that and whatever else, and and so yeah, there's a it there's no I mean boredom is not even it's it, you just can't get yeah, yeah right. so much, we're so overstimulated. Boredom is not no longer a luxury, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shit. So, uh, <clears throat> damn, I want to keep going, but we're getting like over an hour here. That's cool. Maybe we could do a. We got we got to do another episode with you for sure. I'd be absolutely up for that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because it's like any. I I have got like five other topics, and I just know if we get going, we'll get going, that, it's going to be thing, another three like, hours. <laughs> talk about like weird fears or, or right. Like, I know. Stuff and, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's okay. Let's let's just do one more little thing. We'll go. Okay, sure, we'll go sure. a little bit long. Um, what what? I don't want to say what are your fears, but what you know? There was that someone posed that question on Facebook, and 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 we talked. We were talking about it before we started recording, and you had a kind yeah. of an interesting perspective on that. So, oh, the fears of phone ringing. <laughs> Cuckoo. <laughs> there we go. Oh, sorry, no problem. But uh, no, it was. Uh, I remember I was, I was saying um, I can divide my fears into the childhood fears, which are pretty interesting. They inform my work to this day. Uh, and then the adult fears are a little bit more unsettling. They're a little bit more abstract. But yeah. like, the childhood fears are interesting because yeah, I mean, like everyone else, I was afraid of the dark, and I was saying that. When the dark isn't yours, it's it's a pretty terrifying thing to be immersed in it. Right. Um, but because uh, I, I had horrible night terrors and things, and again, oh, really? they, yeah, they didn't involve monsters or or shadow beings like everyone seems to report. I, I'm, they were mostly they were mostly uh, auditory. They were like sounds. Oh things. wow, yeah, I've had that before. It's a really or just like weird little mumbling voices. Yeah, just yeah. Right. Yeah, and then they start shouting. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I could, I totally know what you're talking about, man. And, uh, I, I almost miss it because I don't have this. <laughs> Not since I was a kid, anyway. But you know, you know that that's a, one aspect of it. But I remember the one thing that really caught me at a visceral level, seriously. Later was my my dad, in the name of personal hygiene, said, "Paul, you know, if you don't watch, and just imagine this in a thick Japanese accent." But mm. he was saying, "Paul, if you don't wash your hands, you could possibly get a tapeworm." They're playing out in the dirt. Uh, right. um, I was like, what's a tapeworm, Daddy? And he put <laughs> on this big book of animals. Whomp! Yeah, turned it to the page of uh, this horrible coiled thing. Yeah, hanging out of some kid's ass. <laughs> and the way he explained it was so great. It was like, this is, well, what happens is that this thing, it grows and grows once it's in your body, the eight hatches, and it grows and grows, and it coils around the inside of your rib cage. <laughs> and its head goes into your esophagus. So if, if you try to eat no. some of the worm, it's a first. And it keeps eating and eating uh, all the food you Is eat. Is that true? Uh, no. Okay, I was going to say. It's in your intestines, but it, it was true enough for me when I was a kid. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, this what? Was, this was alien years before alien. Right. But uh, uh, but he basically was saying, says, yeah, you just wither away as this worm gets larger and larger inside <laughs> of you. And that did a number on me. I remember for for just 
years afterwards, I was so terrified that, oh my God, I've, I've actually got this thing inside of me. And <laughs> oh my God. Early in the morning, swore that I felt something crawling up my throat. Oh my God. Of me. <laughs> I could feel it in my throat. So that was one thing. And another weird anxiety too, and this was sort of, this was a bit more subtle, but I used to think I was an artificial being. I used to think that uh, I wasn't actually my parents' child. I was actually I've heard that from other other people it's, before. Isn't it weird? Yeah, I was either I was a robot, or right, or an alien, thing. or something. Yeah, I was going in a jar, or <laughs> uh, or maybe uh, uh, my gender wasn't exactly what I thought it was. Uh, and I was I was actually undergoing some kind of operation. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> it was, it was, but I had a strange identity uh, crisis. On That's that interesting. Moment. Yeah, so those those tended to inform a lot of things I did later on, but now that's strictly in uh, the dim past. But the more um, the one that was not kind of creeping on me this year and that has in the past, and I always get them every few years. It sense it's a, it's more of like an existential despair of some kind. Where mm. uh, the fear is of uh, it's partially of losing my identity in my mind, mm. uh, becoming uh, losing everything that makes up myself, my artistic identity, the whole thing. Right. Having that. Uh, being uh, occluded in some sense, and again being the subject of the darkness, and then you're, you're not the master of it. You're, it's right. something that's going to get you. Uh, and then uh, even beyond that, uh, a horrible sense of banality of, of having the sun way too bright and burning out all the inspiration and all the all the things and your thoughts, and reducing you to this horrible quivering thing. Uh, that's uh, um, just staring blankly and has an empty life and everything is just plain and uh, devoid of any kind of imagination or any kind of inspiration. Wow. And uh, for some reason, that's a that's a huge sense – that brings with it a huge sense of dread for me. Wow. Uh, you know what that – it yeah. sounds like to me, uh, it sounds very similar to – a, uh, uh, the feeling of when you have an, an ego death experience uh, under psychedelics, like when you get to that point, oh, yeah, yeah. where you get to that point where you're going to cross over and and become your full spiritual self the, at the very end, especially you're like hanging on and you're like, what if I lose myself? Oh my God. That, yeah, you know no, what I mean? Uh, it's I very can, similar uh, to uh, that. Uh, uh, yeah, I can uh, recount uh, exactly that feeling. The first time I got it, anyway, it was the first time I ever uh, uh, tried acid. It was back in the uh, when I was going to school in New York, and uh, a friend of mine had some, and and it was ecstatic the first hour or so. And then at a certain point, things turned around. Right, I didn't expect this whole thing, and something I felt very small in, in, mm -hmm. in the great. Uh, you know, and the great span of the universe and all that stuff in history and all that. And I was just, what am I? I'm nothing. I'm right. absolutely this, this little speck in this, in, in this grand kind of thunderous, uh, crushing uh, reality. And right. I remember for about half an hour, I lived I was in this utterly terrified kind of, right. life. it was a fetal position. I was thinking, wow. I am nothing. And uh, so that was the, that was the How first did you, time. Did you, did you pass it or did you, did it eventually start to wear it, off? It, it, uh, yeah, it, um, Luckily, yeah, I got through that. Uh, um, it, was, it didn't last very long, uh, long, long enough for it to leave an impression. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, in theory, at that stage, if you were still getting higher, you the, the in theory, you're just supposed to just accept it and let it go and be like, whatever, maybe, whatever will be, will be. I'm going to just go with this. And yeah. That, and yeah. then you can get over to the other side where you're just like, ah, oh, there's nothing to worry about. You know, it's you get to that true spiritual kind of enlightenment feeling 
you know? Oh, yeah, because the, the rest of the experience was pretty exquisite, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. so you, yeah. You these laughing fits. Like, yeah. Kind of <laughs> you feel like it's going to kill you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, those laughing fits are too much. It's kind of like yeah. la- laughing yeah. at nothing. You know, nothing in particular, <laughs> this, and it's the, slightest the absurdity. Thing you, you know? That, that, that's, uh, yeah, I haven't had that in, in decades. I know, I know. <laughs> One of those initial experiences, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the early days were kind of... I don't know. There was the the most to gain back then because you were still so young and you know. Yeah, I think I'd uh, and again I had no idea what to expect from that. I only had sort of a pop cultural idea of right. what that kind of thing would uh, bring about. Well, no one can know until you do it. There's no yeah, way. Every, really... yeah, everyone's got a different experience. So. Yeah, and it's and it's a, a big part of it is like a feeling more than any of the visuals or anything. It's like this sense inside of yourself yeah yeah because yeah the visuals are almost peripheral oh yeah, totally like, yeah kind of at the corner of your eyes and you get the impression of that thing or that tree is now embodied with this other thing or whatever. right yeah yeah but uh yeah because i remember, so just remember everything came came to life it was like peewee's playhouse like, right had yeah pieces and there were eyes everywhere um, <laughs> and it became this it, it was like the essence of madness which I, which was beautiful too right <laughs> i remember one time one of the first times i did it um, I, I was in like a Fred Flintstone world. Oh, <laughs> it was no. like, it looked like I was in a Fred Flintstone, the, the Flintstones cartoon with all these like giant oh plants. God. And it, it wasn't like I was in the other dimension, but it was sort of like, I was imagining that in a, in a really powerful way that was just like all the colors of those cartoons and everything. And it really was oh, <laughs> such a trip. It's like your mind, you know, your your childhood mind is sort of coming out, and I love it. Yeah, I, I got that sense it was regurgitating a lot of yeah. what I really hot were up to that point anyway. Right, right. Well, that's you know, it's in theory what it's doing. It's breaking your ego down, and your ego is all made up of your memories and your experiences from your whole life. Yeah. So yeah. that's why a lot of times it'll show you weird things that are kind of like, oh, it's kind of like these cartoons I used to watch, and you know. Yeah, be sort of half cartoon and half like Hieronymus Bosch and MC Escher. Right, and, right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, nothing like those early experiences. It's just exquisite. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good. That's a good uh, moment to end on. I think we're at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, we're like hour twenty or something. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'm going to put this as part one. So that we can do okay, a, fantastic. We can do a part two for sure because um, yeah, we shall reconvene shortly. Yes. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Um, oh, it's my pleasure, man. Yeah, and don't hang up after I stop the podcast because I'll say goodbye to you. But um, thank you for coming on. It was uh, great having you on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, hopefully I'm doing an okay job without my care to help me. Um, still kind of weird, but... Um, yeah. yeah, hopefully my voice is coming through here, too. Like, oh, yeah, no. I, 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 I keep t- moving the iPad back and forth. No, no, no. It was totally fine. I got the headphones on so I can oh, I hear everything fantastic. right. So. Anyway, um, we will catch you next week, and um, I guess that's it. Please support us on the Patreon if you can. Throw a buck our way, buck a month, or uh, whatever you want to do if you can. And um, support Paul's work because he's incredible. Yeah, where can we find you? I need to get links of where people can find you also to post. Yeah, because I don't have an official site yet, but still you can uh, find me on Instagram, just Paul Komoda, and then I'm on uh, 
I'm on the Facebook too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've got a somewhat moribund Twitter account too. It's like, I feel like I'm being punished on Twitter for inactivity. <laughs> like I'm posting the same stuff I'm posting everywhere else, but I got no response. I see, same here. I've never gotten good response on Twitter. It's always been the slowest growing platform and the least amount of responses. And, but yeah, it, yeah. eventually I just hooked up my Instagram to Twitter. So everything that goes on my Instagram goes to my Twitter. And I just don't That's even, a good idea. Yeah, I don't even, but I don't even check it because it's like I get no responses. So. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, all right. So thanks, thanks again for coming on. It was great. Absolutely, and, uh, man. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, I almost forgot to mention the new subscribers to Patreon. Thank you so much for subscribing. We've got a bunch now. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to read them off. We've got Constance Garcia, Rick. Kitagawa, Marilyn Garrett, hey Marilyn, Dylan Mako, Myth City, which I believe is Daniel Myth City Arts on Facebook, Nani Cruzado, Matthew Dodson, Monique Motil, or Motil, Otis Chamberlain, Courtney Fields, Karen Whiteway and Doug Rhodes. Thank you so much for pledging. This is awesome. We really appreciate the support. All right. Talk to y'all next time.